From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Husband and wife duo Jeff Summers and Lara Hamill loved going out for ice cream, but they craved a shop closer to their St. Paul home. Don't we all want to walk to ice cream after dinner? So they decided to open one themselves. The year was 2000, long before we were rolling ice cream or freezing it on the spot with liquid nitrogen or all these other gimmicks. And Izzy's immediately became known for its real ingredients, its clever flavors like midnight graham crunch and butter caramel salted swirl, and of course, the Izzy on top. That extra little scoop that allows you to try one more flavor when you just can't decide. So simple, so brilliant, and it speaks to the way Jeff and Lara think creatively about their business. Izzy's recently added production at a larger facility in Wisconsin with aspirations of national distribution. It's a very exciting time for this homegrown company, and I'm really excited to have the founders of Izzy's, Jeff and Lara here with us today, and not only because they did, of course, bring ice cream. Do you always bring ice cream wherever you go? Almost every place. Yeah. So thank you for having us today. Absolutely. Well, you must just put a smile on everybody's face if you're always bringing ice cream. It's a good thing. (laughs) So take us back to the beginning. I know I I had read the story about how you wanted a a shop, but it it has to be a little more than that. I mean, not everybody goes from wanting ice cream to opening their own store. What were both of you doing at the time? Had you ever thought about starting your own business? Yeah, so when we tell the story, we go back a little further than than the first days of ice cream. And Lara and I are English majors. We met at Hamlin University. Okay. Um, right out of school, Lara started uh, William Mitchell College of Law, and I started being a Minneapolis public school teacher. I actually subbed at the beginning. Uh-huh. And then um, I was really going into teaching to give back to the community, become a better citizen of the world. And Lara was going to make the world a better place through law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, I taught a few years and really wanted to be an art major. And so I went back to night classes in art, and it went well, and I ended up getting a full ride to the University of Michigan. Wow. Should have went to art school down in Albuquerque, New Mexico, because then we would have been in a warm climate. Oh. One of Lara's life's goals. <laughs> 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 but we, um, so we uh, went to Michigan Finished Lara practice law in Michigan. I came back after graduate school, taught for six more years. I came home one day and I was kind of tired. And I said, Lara, I'm getting tired and I'm getting close to my 10 year commitment to teaching. And I'm fortunate to have an opportunity to look at other opportunities. And we talked about a lot of business ideas. And we didn't agree on anything until we hit on ice cream. What What were some of the ideas that you threw We've out? Never told anyone. Come on, <laughs> now I for sure want to know. Yeah, we never have. We probably never will. Oh. But there were a lot of really bad ideas. Okay. So um, that we would be very unhappy if we'd pursued them. <laughs> but did you ever think before that moment when you mm-hmm. started getting tired and thinking maybe I don't want to teach for the next 30, 40 years, had you thought about being an entrepreneur or having a business? Was that a goal? I don't think we had. No. I what? think I think when we got to that moment, we were like, you know, what are we going to do next? We had kind of an interesting 
scenario in the sense that when I was really young, we had a hot dog stand at the Minnesota State Fair. Oh. And Lara had worked with our family there. And it was a, a called Summer Sausage House. And we, when I was really young, Sweet Martha opened mm-hmm. her first year at the fair in a tent across the street. And many years later, I was on a panel discussion with her here at St. Thomas. And she said that they got a invitation to come out to the fair and sell cookies 10 days before opening. And so they had submitted frozen yogurt and cookies, and they got the green light for cookies. And so when she opened, at the time at the fair, there were two shows, night night concerts. Mm -hmm. And so I was in school. I'd be making hot dogs until the 9 o'clock show let out at 11. And I'll never forget... um, the same way I was envious of my next door neighbors with five kids piling into the station wagon, <laughs> um, I was envious of how quickly the Sweet Martha cookie crew cleaned up and mm. went home. And so I just really fascinated. They sold more cookies than we did hot dogs. Mm-hmm. And we just had this experience, this shared experience of working at the fair. And so I think that, and then we'd been inspired by an ice cream shop in Michigan. And Lara What could, was special about the, that I shop in Michigan? Lara knows more more than anyone. So, I mean, Captain Frosty's, so... Yeah, it was um, called Captain Frosty's. Um, it was a seasonal place, kind of like a Dairy Queen, but it was an independent. And when we were in Michigan in March, it was still pretty cold there, and people would line up the first day that mm-hmm. they had ice cream because they, you know, the built-up anticipation. Yeah. And um, it was just a really cute store, and I think um, we brought that kind of like idea with us when we went back to, you know, from Michigan back to Minnesota. And, um, you know, that was, that was one of the, this was one of the businesses on our list when we were, you know, kind of thinking about going into business. So, so you were at a juncture where you were ready to quit your day job and do something different. But, Mm -hmm. but Lara, you were a, a practicing attorney. I practiced in Michigan. And then when I came back, I took a little time off to have our daughter. Our, okay. um, we have two, first daughter. Yep, first daughter. And we have two daughters. And um, then I was working part-time in Hennepin County with um, a judge there. So, okay. doing, so you were open to... Yep. I was, um, you know, preparing to go back into law. Mm-hmm. And at that time, that's uh, when Jeff came and he had been teaching, you know, for a while and um, he kind of needed something new. And so I guess I was supporting of that. And, you know, um, we had that magic list. And so, so this, you, is, this is what we chose. Okay, so you you settle on ice cream. Yeah. What do you do? What did you, had you ever made ice cream before? So Lara buys a book on Amazon.com. <laughs> how to com- make ice Commercial cream? guide to how to make ice cream. Okay, ice cream she's for dummies. Does that exist? Super book smart. And so she's <laughs> all over that book. And then um, we started kind of looking for space and there was nothing available. But what would give you the the confidence that y- you could do ice cream 
differently? What what was going to make people come to you, or did you just feel like ice cream is a no-brainer? Everyone loves ice cream. Well, we're like a community-minded thinkers, both of us, um, almost in parallel tracks, right? And so what I think we were thinking at the time, and at the time Grand Ole Creamery was the premier location to get ice cream in St. Paul. So if you, if you had an extra $10 in your pocket, the only place in St. Paul at that time to really kind of go for a casual walk and spend a few dollars was on Grand Avenue. Mm -hmm. And being from Hamlin and the Midway, we've developed a little bit of pride in that there's more places, there's more communities, and how could we bring community to our neighborhood? Sure. And so how could we create a gathering place uh, where we live? And so I think our first um, entree into ice cream was community building. And it was really built out of sort of our core values that uh, sort of inform everything we do today. And so ice cream was sort of our medium in which we were going to build community and, and make great moments for individuals and small groups, which is a part of our mission. Did you start with certain flavors? Were you good at making ice cream right out of the gate? I have a feeling nobody would buy any ice cream I would make even if I did read a book. Well, yeah. How did you know how to do it? We didn't know how to do it. <laughs> so the book mm -hmm. was written by Malcolm Stogo, a pretty well-known ice cream consultant in the United States and Italy and whatnot. And then I took a two-and-a-half-day class with an Italian gelato maker in North Carolina. And Lara made ice cream at the Edina Creamery oh. for yep, how many I, days? I, I um, mentored with Brad you know, like two or three days with... Um, the owner there, Brad Heck. Did he know that you were thinking of opening your own shop? Yes, okay. he did. Um, we were, he was in Edina and we were in St. Paul and he was comfortable with, you know, those locations. And he gave me some tips about, you know, how to proceed and how to, you know, get, find suppliers. And so I kind of worked that scene a little bit and Jeff worked his scene with the Italian um, yeah. gelato maker. <laughs> so Carpigiani is a company that makes an ice cream machine that they started selling in the United States, say, 45 years ago. And so they had a little university, a little class. And in this class, I finished two and a half days of class. I was there on my teaching salary because the first year of Izzy's, I taught half time. Mm. And Lara made ice cream. So all the first batches of ice cream Lara made in the shop, she made from the book. Okay. And, um, and then, um, and then I went in and learned the stuff at this class. And he finished the class. He said, "Nothing I've done here for the last two and a half days matters." And so, if you slow down time, I'm like, "What is he talking about? <laughs> Nothing <laughs> just matters." Class, yeah, yeah. I just paid for this. He says, "What really matters in the frozen dessert business?" And then I was like, "Ah, oh, how can he say that? <laughs> like, we're going into the ice cream business." And so, so he was, you know, industry, you know, many more years of experience. So industry perspective on his end. On our end, it was not like that. So, and then he says, what really matters is that you smile, got this, <laughs> and that you give tastes of ice cream to people. And I was super stressed out about this on the plane Why? ride home. Because if I went into an ice cream shop with Lara and we're in line at, let's say, Grand Ole Creamery for the sake conversation, I would be thinking, and people would come out with a big waffle cone, I'd be thinking I'm going to try something new. 
I'd be really excited that I was going to try something new. But as soon as I got in the door, I'd look for my safe flavor, which sure. would be chocolate or chocolate almond. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't ask for a taste because it's like too decadent. Like, I don't want to come across as fancy. And I wouldn't also ask for a taste of one of those new flavors bec- uh, because I didn't want to ask get anything for free. So it was so really uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so then that's how the Izzy Scoop happened is we needed a way in, in, in our mind's eye to give the guest some, some more of the same or another flavor without them having to ask for a taste so that we could introduce them to all the flavors we were making. So, you, so that was right out of the gate. Before we opened. So smart. And, yeah. it's, and, and the Izzy Scoop is just a, a smaller, a cute little scoop yeah. that goes on top of your yeah. ice cream. And we went on and got that trademarked. Lara's the lawyer. Yeah, smart <laughs> and, move. And, you know, Dairy Queen has the trademark on the swirl. Mm-hmm. And so that's instructive, helps kind of inform why we pursued the trademark. Is the trademark on co- the, the actual scoop, can you trademark a scoop of ice cream or is it that it's the Izzy scoop? The configuration. Really? Yeah, just yeah. like Dairy Queen. So no other ice cream shop in the country can put a little scoop on top of a big scoop? C- Correct. Correct. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to be looking for that. Yes, tell us. And then, then we have to, so then we have to live like an adult in the society. Yeah. When we see that happen, we have to ask them to stop. Has that happened before? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And that's not very much fun. Okay, I want to hear about, <laughs> I bet, I want to hear about the original flavors, but I also want to know, just just to get set up, there's obviously some upfront costs to this. Yeah. You had to lease the space. You had to buy the equipment. Did you use your own savings? How did you get started? Yeah. We mortgaged the house once, and that wasn't enough. Okay. <laughs> and then we mortgaged it again. That's scary. So two mortgages, yeah. And Before we've... you'd ever opened, you had already done that. Yeah, to build out the space that we rented. Were you nervous? No. No. Really? Not, not really. Not appropriately so. Okay. <laughs> no. I think, I think, like, we didn't, we were young and you know maybe not knowing all of the risk sure. no we know there's no way we knew the risk but, but you maybe were obviously we ran, so we ran out of money like the, to give you an idea about running out of money um if you go to the saint paul shop originally it didn't have a public restroom mm-hmm. and so we negotiated with the city <laughs> could we have one more year to build the public restroom and can guests use the restroom in the basement until we can afford this. And so at the time, I think the restroom was going to cost $9,000. And then a year later, from a construction perspective, the bathroom cost us $16,000 to yeah. build, right? Of course. So, but for, for the first year being open, you know, if you wanted to use the restroom, just like old St. Paul shops where there still have been a few where you have to walk downstairs to use the restroom, which is not really acceptable in today's No, but climate. I bet it didn't keep people yeah. away. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, but so you went into this maybe a little naive, but also confident that this was going to work. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like... The kind of confidence that comes from not knowing any better. Sure. Yeah. And you had how many kids when you opened? Two. Okay. Two daughters. Um, and you're all in. Both of you are all We're in. We're all in. You just have so, the part-time teaching. A really hard thing is so Lara's making ice. So Lara takes the girls to daycare in the morning. She then makes ice cream in the shop once we're open, alone, no help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm teaching. 
And then, um, well, we I'm, start in the summer, so we get a little practice before school starts. I'm also, I'm also serving the ice cream while I'm making, making it. it. So, like, making Once it. Once school starts. Yeah, okay. and somebody yeah. comes in the shop, just a moment, you know. I'll be out. Yeah. i got to get this batch of ice cream out of the machine. <laughs> yeah. And there's a time sensitivity to it? Like, All of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds so she's running the whole shop alone once school starts. We get started like July 29th, which is much later than you want to start an ice cream shop because mm-hmm. of construction timelines. Did people show up on day one? Yeah. How many flavors did you have to start? 32. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and and how long had you spent perfecting your flavors? Because it seems like that that's a big part of the Izzy story, right? You've got these mm-hmm. really interesting, unique flavors. For day I, one or since for then? day well for day one I think that before the flavors we made decisions about the kind of ice cream that we wanted oh, um, yeah, so answer. we wanted to have like a certain you know like a super premium and mm-hmm. a high butter fat versus you know a yeah. lot of air you know That's or why it's so good <laughs> and so we made that decision yeah. and then we also made the decision about what kind of vanilla to use so um, from right away we decided to use Nielsen Massey vanilla and um, these are just like decisions we kind of made based on um, you know the best ingredients and products that we liked you know from yeah. the beginning so we had that kind of foundation, and that was really easy, you know, for us to to go there because that's like our core value, um, and you know, goes to our core values. And then um, from there, like we used the book, and then from there we expanded, and just you walk around every day, and you see something at a bakery, yeah, you see a chocolate you like, you see a cake you like. Um, my first flavor that I remember coming up was one of our signature flavors called Norwegian chai. And it was because I was in the tea source and a customer said, hey, you should make a chai ice cream. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so then I tried it and then I'm like, hmm, it kind of tastes a little bit like uh, like if I put this Willette Bakery, you know, cardamom toast in it. It would taste good. No, actually, she was in line also the same day at Willette's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> buying almond biscotti. And another oh, yeah. customer in line said, you should try cardamom toast. So then Lara takes the tea home yep. and the cardamom toast home the same day. Uh-huh. And she basically Uses makes the signature ice cream for us. That the closest thing it is is it's to like pumpkin ice cream, but it's not pumpkin ice cream. It's so basically yeah. any ingredient you came in contact with in, a, in the world became... A potential a, ice cream a flavor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, was that your first kind of unique flavor? That's the that's the one that I remember making. Yep. Yeah. And that all was Lara. How important was that in the early days? I mean, it was it as simple as ice cream. Here we are. We're a neighborhood shop, and people would come. Or what do you think brought them in, or maybe brought them back? Was it the flavor? How important were the flavors? Oh, I think really important. Really important. Yeah. And so, it's, you know, it's a, you know, yeah, artisan making it by hand. And um, that was very important. You know? and, then, and then the community thread kind of built. And then eventually we did this flavor contest. And Lara was reading about Ben and Jerry's. And people would bring ice cream to Ben and Jerry's. And Ben and Jerry's would say, oh, you've made the best ice cream such and such person mm-hmm. after tasting 10. And Lara's like, well, 
more like that rebellious spirit that says open an ice cream shop in Miriam Park versus Grand Avenue. Same kind of that sort of same kind of, I would argue for me, it's like that junior high, like no one knows better than me kind of attitude. Okay. And so Lara reversed it. And she said, we're going to make the flavors. You just submit the idea. I see. And then you taste the flavors. So people started telling you what they wanted. Yes. And was this in the very first summer that you started that? The second or third. Okay. How quickly did you make money? The first year. You really did? Yeah. The the other thing that's so interesting to me is, I mean, ice cream is such a seasonal business. So you open your shop in July, you've mortgaged your house, you're you're doing all the work. I, I mean, what happens as the temperature gets colder? Did you did you do so well in those couple of months that it sustained you through the winter, or or how did that work? It, yeah, that's how it works. I ha- that's how it has to work um, when you when you're dealing with your retail shops in. Um, it did work, and we were able to pay that debt back. But it took till two thousand nine. Took nine years for us to be debt free. Okay, and, and then, then we and we started you... selling to restaurants, and we eventually yeah. started selling to grocery stores, and so we start to build a twelve month business profile. So in those early yeah. years, what were you living on? Your part-time teacher salary? Only th- for the first year. Okay. Yeah. Then, and then, we, then we lived on ice cream. You mm-hmm. lived on ice cream. And yep. and did you live on ice cream? I mean, that sounds kind of great, but I mean, did you live <laughs> on ice cream comfortably or was it a real struggle? Oh, it's always a struggle. So it's even a struggle to this day. So um, it's a really complicated mathematical cash flow thing mm-hmm. to make ice cream see it where you do 80% of your revenue in five mm-hmm. months. So that's still a challenge. And so we, as we grow in this next um, development of our company, this will be the beginning of a new era for our company as we stabilize the the economics of the company over a 12-month cycle. Okay. So in those early days, how, how, when did you open the second shop in Minneapolis? 2013. Okay. So, I mean, there were there was a, a yep. lot of years where it was just the St. Paul store. Yeah. And your business model, did you ever, did you write a business plan? Yeah. Lara wrote. Okay. All right. Lawyer. Right. Yeah, right. 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 Extensive. 30 so page business plan. Did the plan. original business plan set you up to be an ice cream shop? Was there, were you thinking about selling to grocery stores or wholesaling in those early days? No, the original plan and like forecasting that we did was just one shop no expansion one shop um and you thought that would be enough that would be enough for your little family and for well it's kind of interesting i mean we we reached out to a financial advisor a wonderful person that we know Uh and candidly suggested after running the numbers that we shouldn't do it really (laughs) yeah yeah and but it was just our it was just our community-minded. That didn't scare you off. It should have, because <laughs> <laughs> it's real numbers, right? Yeah. So, um, but so we just were really committed to the idea of serving, sort of like the popular term of servant leadership, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I just think we just have that built into who we are as people, and the team that we're able to build really then. Are attracted to that generally in our brand. Now that that's how we started, it's mm-hmm. kind of in the DNA, and so we're really fortunate to draw employees and 
whether they're 14, 15, or starting with us in their mid-career at 50, the people that join our company can sense that about the company from its founding. Mm -hmm. And so I think what happens for us is we're really able to pull people in that are community-minded and out there to serve and make people happy. I have to think in the in that first winter there had to have been some dark below zero days where like nobody wanted oh, yeah. an ice cream cone. Yeah, our what all did you our do? all day lowest sales in the history of the company. I think we had one day where we were open for what say ten or twelve hours and we made sixty dollars in sales. Wow, <laughs> which is not That's good. <laughs> not good. But at interesting all. though, actually, that there's always somebody who wants ice yeah, cream, yeah. even when it's ten below zero yeah. in Minnesota. Yeah, and I mean in Minnesota we get that. And it's only happened once, but maybe twice. But we had like the really huge snowstorm, and when we only had the St. Paul store, I couldn't get to work. Um, our I couldn't get out of our driveway, out of our alley. I couldn't get to work. Um, our staff member shoveled his parents' driveway. He got there, got the store opened on time, and a woman arrived on cross-country skis at open. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and so that's just the spirit sort of of our commitment to being open for business mm-hmm. and then the this reciprocal commitment of the customer to acknowledge, you know, it. It, it's a kind of like the cliche of it takes a village, right? So it really does, you know, the local food, you know, buy local thing is, 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 is a really like, it's like a beginning moniker for what it really takes to get a local independent business and to support the families in the neighborhoods, whether it's on our block in St. Paul with Copland's Coffee or Tilly's down the block or a rising sun selling martial arts mm-hmm. things for a long time. It, and Suds America across the street, Thomas Liquor, all of the people that are really building those businesses and, com- and contributing to the fabric, they, they depend on people making a decision to visit. Right. And, and that's... It's it's a you know I have a on my side of the family I have an aunt that raised three boys selling paperback used books, okay. and so my mom you know she'll go out of her way to help me recognize and note and know that that's like a margin on that book of like five cents fifty cents you know westerns romance novels mm-hmm. that takes a lot of grit. How's the markup on an ice cream cone? You know. It, we sometimes, I don't know, close to seventy percent. Okay. So not not a hundred percent, and it depends on what flavor a person chooses. Got it. <laughs> um, so if you buy pistachio, yeah, it's we're we're you're we're, giving we're, it away. Yeah. Well, you, we're paying you. <laughs> <laughs> I will keep that in mind. Yeah, so you're getting <laughs> a really good deal. I'll go right on the deal. pistachio. I really, want to help you guys. You're getting out. a really good deal. So. At what point did you start packaging ice cream for grocery, and how how did that evolve? I think it was around um, 2004. Uh, if I'm not, we started grocery before that. Okay. I mean, I mean restaurants before that. Oh, so rest so, so restaurants you're a, first. You're a few years in. You've got your one shop. Or do restaurants Some start restaurants. coming to you saying yep. you want to serve mm-hmm. your ice cream? Yep. Yep. Yes, that's nice. And so we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, delivering, we we have a leased car that we have for our kids that we're sharing with the company. Mm-hmm. So, the employee takes our personal car, makes all the deliveries, um, and then eventually, um, we we decide to hand pack the pints and do those and get into Kowalski's. And so we'll be forever in 
that to Kowalski's. They were your first yeah. grocery yeah. customer. Mm-hmm. Was that hard? Did you just walk into Kowalski's and say, hey, want to try our ice cream? Uh, it was hard. They make you work. They, 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 they appropriately make you earn the opportunity because they're, they're wanting you to... They want to support local, right? But they need to be partnering with people who can execute. Was that like learning a whole new business? A whole new language. Like if you were to be a high school student and you started out in Spanish, it wasn't a good fit for you, and now you're going to study German or another language. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole new language. Do you have to think about preservatives? Or I mean, is ice cream that you buy in the grocery store totally different than ice cream that you buy in the shop? Um. No, no, it shouldn't be. Okay. It sometimes is, depending on the, the brand, right? So that's what's been the new thing this year. So we launching these nine flavors that we're out in grocery store with, it's actually the the same ingredients. Got it. Or better. So um so you've you've been in grocery for a number of years now yeah. on a local level, but yeah. it's all been local. You've not had distribution beyond Minnesota. No. Have you tried or is it just it w- wasn't feasible to to do it previously? So we would hand make a thousand pints a day. Still? Then. Are you then. still making ice cream? No, 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 not no. Today. Our company. I, I mean, mean, we um yeah. for the for the grocery, we are we, co-manufacturing now with the grocery. Yeah. But so, but you you were sort of at capacity what you could for 5 make. years. Okay. Yeah. In yeah. and that all happens in St. Paul in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just this year, just recently, you decided to make just a, the spring. to take a big yep. step. May mm-hmm. 1st. And, was the first day. And that was to add Manufacturing, the co-manufacturing. Yep. Yep. Okay. In Lara Wisconsin. and Lara supervised the first production mm-hmm. of that in 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 Madison, and so then that first week they made fifty thousand pints in five days. That's a big, <laughs> which would take us fifty days to make. Okay. So and then we've sold through that inventory already. Where is that going? What what comes first? Do you have to get the manufacturing up, or do you have to go f- make sure that you have a place to sell all that ice cream? That's a great question. <laughs> it's both. Okay. Yeah. So 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 the way it's kind of shaping up is first you have to have the money to buy that much ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so so we've been saving and planning to do this. No loans, no investors. Oh, no, lots, no, we own Izzy's entirely still. Okay. So but we refinanced our building in Minneapolis and from that refinance we pulled some money equity out to invest in this new growth. Okay. At least you didn't have to take another mortgage out on your home this yeah, time. The home okay, is, that's good. Yeah. Not that we haven't given up a home for the company ever in the history we have. Okay. So so, but um, so we um, so we made that ice cream. It's out in grocery. We 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 got into Lunds and Byerly's that added thirty grocery stores. So in in total today we're in a hundred stores. All in Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. So we if, have Wisconsin. Some we have one in Hudson. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jerry's. Okay. And and do you have uh, sales reps that are out there pitching this so, ice cream now? You're looking at the reps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so no. So now, like, it's a big, so we're building a new, we're in the very beginning of building a new enterprise, right? So we've got a broke, brokerage firm that we've hired. We've, Lara and the team in our office, have, we've hired a controller. 
through a local consulting firm, Salo. Mm -hmm. And then we've hired um, a staff accountant to get on the numbers. And so with the broker, we're able to do the numbers and we were able to build out the Lunds and Byerly's account with a new distributor called Market Distributing. And so then um, we're in live right now in negotiations and um, promoting our product to Cub. Okay. And then we're also promoting it to Coburn's, and um, we're cautiously optimistic that they'll both say yes. Uh, but but they but they don't make that decision for another thirty to sixty days. How important? And that's really raw, right? That's yeah, happening now. That's literally <laughs> right now. Yeah. Well, hopefully, mm-hmm. by the time yeah. everybody hears this, you'll you'll be. <laughs> You still have that that local angle to play with the grocery mm-hmm. stores that you're talking about, but you must be thinking at this point beyond that. How mm-hmm. do you carve out a place for yourself against the the Ben and Jerry's of the world and, and all the other yeah. ice creams in the freezer section? So this is kind of, I don't know, in a public sphere to talk about this, it's a little odd, but I'll let it go. Do <laughs> so it. Our, our vision is to compete directly with Haagen-Dazs and Ben and & Jerry's. Okay. Um, and it's kind of interesting to talk about this in a public forum, but um, the idea is, is that in the last 10 years, there's been lots of innovations in ice cream, whether mm-hmm. it's Halo Top or Jenny's or some of the other artisan brands, um, Strauss doing the work it does in California, or Van Leeuwen from the East Coast, a um, um, couple brands from the South, um, f- forgetting the name right now. But in any event, they're all doing really good work, mm-hmm. really interesting work. And so we feel like Ben and Jerry's were J- Ben and Jerry's are the original originators of innovation for the pints. But it's like 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we feel like all the new innovations have been pulling them apart, pulling them, and they're trying to innovate and keep up with the competition in the innovation space. And there's a whole bunch of space in the middle now for just traditional, great, classic ice cream made better than Hagen dazs or Ben & Jerry's can make it. Mm. Because we're at a different place on the, on the economic model. So there's everything they're doing has got to be commodities, pricing, margin. It's got to be volume, everything. They've got to do all the things like driven by numbers or marketing. And so we're just trying to make better ice cream. And so when we look at our flavors that we're coming out with, about seven of them really lean into the haagen model and two of them lean into the Ben & Jerry's model. How are their models different? Ben and Jerry's is just like ooey, gooey, chunky. Yeah, more stuff in the Yeah, the in more the stuff, better. the better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then and then Haagen-Dazs is just the really classic artisan approach to, you know, great dessert. And so what we're doing, one of the kind of the unique things that we're so fortunate, but like Calibo, which is a European chocolate, has agreed to co- brand with us, meaning they're allowing us to use their name on two of our flavors. So we don't buy a five-gallon pail of chocolate with coconut oil. We actually buy Calibo chocolate, a couple varieties, and we melt it down and then incorporate incorporate that into chocolate chip and mint chip. So we get this, we get, we're really fortunate because then a competitor of theirs Guitar Chocolate, who's the <laughs> who we've been working with both of these companies for 19 years, agreed to be on the front of the label, and so we have that partnership that we're able to share. And for us, this is a um, 
this is a way for us to um, communicate to our our customer and our guest uh, that we've got quality built into what we're doing. Is your uh, grocery store price higher than Ben and Jerry's and Hagen does? It is, and we're working to get close to them. So we'll take a little bit of a hit on margin to get there because we want to be competitive. So we're, so I've had the good, Larry and I've had the really good fortune of, fortune of having 19 years to sort of build our foundation mm-hmm. before we took this step. And in that, we when I'm in public and I do all the public talk, most of the public speaking. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, um, and when I'm in public and I talk about Izzy's, I, 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 I make the analogy like blue stem grass. So it's about three feet of root system and a foot of visible grass. And so in that model, Lair and I have been building, and the team that we hire has been building a foundation for Izzy's to do this launch from. Mm-hmm. And so if our customers and their friends and, and their friends and their family embrace what we're doing, we'll be successful um, beyond all measure. And then our brand is designed and built around the idea of giving back, and so we'll give back. Um, but we're like not like a social enterprise. Like, a, Do you give back in a formal way? Do you give back a portion of... We do a 13 days of giving in our retail store where we bring in all kinds of nonprofits for 13 days. And then the proceeds from the sale of cones become a part of a donation to the organizations that participate. Kind of culminating just the day before Thanksgiving, I mean, before Valentine's Day with sort of the agape love concept before romantic love holiday nice so that so but for us the idea is we're also building community with all the work we do as a part of our just the what we do Mm -hmm. right when you line up for an ice cream cone it's fun it is absolutely i have had fun at your shops (laughs) many times so i get that locally you've made me you know addicted to your you know midnight graham crunch and now i'm going to go to my grocery store and buy it but what happens when you're in chicago or in boston or other parts how are you going to break through in other markets that that don't have the benefit of knowing your stores so the kind of the key the key thing that kind of gives us a hint that it'll happen is when parents will tell us that their kids won't go anywhere else but Izzy's. So they just like they become loyal to the product because it tastes great. Mm-hmm. And so we're working really hard now to start to capture those moments when people are eating ice cream at home. So we'll be reaching out to our customers and like share your stories. Tell us what happened at Labor Day when you all ate ice cream. Mm-hmm. Tell us, and we got a picture from one of our one of our bankers' daughters buying a tall cup of ours. And we call it tall cup because it's fourteen ounces, not sixteen. Okay. But um, but she's like so happy. You can see not only that she's happy with the ice cream, she's connected to her dad's work story, but she also you can tell just loves and adores her dad. So the photo is just like all these layers of really wonder wonderful things. And I don't think every food does that. I don't think we pick up certain categories of food and have that experience. Mm-hmm. And because Izzy's is built on that, I think it'll just grow. What is the name, Izzy's? Where, where did the name come from? <laughs> we each made a list. Another another list. Another list. It was <laughs> Yeah, the list of what should we do and then the name list. Yeah. So we, you know, separated ourselves and just wrote down what we thought would be 
cool, nice, you know. Just had a good names. sound. And that, you know. You don't have a grandfather. It wasn't going to be Lara and Jeff's or Jeff's and Lara's. <laughs> yeah. And we, yeah. we also wanted to have a brand, like an ability for it to grow and develop. It was also important. We had a, um, our children were two and four. And so <laughs> um, there was a lot of children just, you know, at, around at our house. And so family and kids was really important. And we wanted you know, a name that kids would like, you know, and could say in, um, you know, you could say it and, you know, walk there and go there. And so um, I think we had Izzy, Izzy on, on our list. Yeah, and I so had, Is- I had Isabel, uh-huh. I think. Yeah, so I had Izzy, a board game I used as a teacher. Uh-huh. Lara had Isabel, mm-hmm. girl's name. and So we combined it. Yeah, and I think, I think too, that, you know, this is this is like kind of like taking from a current trend with was it Maria Kondo or whatever her, how do you say her name? But yeah, like, Marie. Oh, the the, the Marie. tidy person. Oh, tidying up. Yeah, yeah. but I think we want to. I think our brand is you know out there to spark joy, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we we have like in our mission is to make great ice cream make great moments for individuals and small groups which we took from an architectural writing uh, Louis Kahn wrote this thing about making buildings for individuals small groups and large groups well, we don't have a large group setting right except for the whole Izzy's mm-hmm. you know loyal customer group if you will but so we always are trying to see like a unique thing that'll happen in an ice cream store is you'll have three generations in line, a common occurrence or a group from a floor of a university or a team or a business group. You'll have these small groups. And we always are trying to identify in that moment with our training of our team that's giving customer service to pay attention to the individual and equally pay attention to the small group. And so we're asking our team behind the scenes to be listening and paying attention. And so so when I've practiced that well, um, there was a time three years ago, it's a favorite, I mean, we have a lot of great stories, I'm right, sure of customers. But there's a girl and her two young girls, maybe 10, sitting uh, in Minneapolis on the sidewalk, and she didn't look happy, and, was, and she had ice cream, so this is unusual. <laughs> <laughs> um, Unless there's a tantrum, which is a different topic, right. <laughs> didn't get there. But she or the didn't, cone she, falls on yeah, the ground. Yeah. But yeah. she she just wasn't looking appropriately comfortable, happy. So I was like, "Hey, what's up?" And she didn't get the right Izzy scoop. So long story short, we end this whole sequence. We've we convince we father comes over. We're talking well, what we're talking about, and he he encourages her to let me get her a new Izzy scoop. We get her a new Izzy scoop. She's super happy. Then we bring sounds the families this is pre pre hurricane before the hurricane hit Puerto Rico. They're a family from Puerto Rico. And so there all the elders and all the elder women in the family, aunts, grandmothers, mothers are all in town for a women's conference. So these the father and the kids are just along for the ride, right? And so we end up in the kitchen. We do a whole tour, and it's like at the end of this, it's the best day of her life. <laughs> she gives a hug, and mm-hmm. and so um, this kind of life experience in service to community, right, isn't just local, right? It becomes national, and and then you know when we when we were in Reader's Digest a number of years back, we put a map on the wall, and people would put a pin for the U.S. 
state or city they were sure, from. Sure, where they were visiting from. And then they started writing their names in in the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans. And so then we had to put up a world map. And so because Minneapolis is an international place, you know, we had pins in that from, <laughs> from all, over. all over the world. Will you open stores in other markets? Do you talk about that? Not currently, but we are open to it, and so I guess everybody will have to wait and see about that. Is the plan? Well, that's intriguing. Is the plan <laughs> to like right now? What is what's the breakdown of, of business between the, the the ice cream shops and your wholesaling? Breakdown meaning like revenue? Yeah. So we do a third, a third, and a third. So St. Paul's a third, Minneapolis is a third, and all the other wholesale combined grocery restaurant is a third. And how do you see that changing in the next year? We would, in well, in the next five years, it would be become, grocery would become 80% of the business. Okay. And the existing would continue to grow, but represent 20%. You know, like partnerships like we have with the Minnesota Twins, et cetera, really help us build a foundation to reach the Midwest entirely. You have other corporate partnerships too, don't you? Yeah, we have a few. Like we do a little bit of stuff for the wild, and um, and you know, it. We get we're in we're constantly get a call from every stadium. Uh, yeah, but the margins and, in food service and sponsorship are really complex. That's what I was going to say. Deals, are those so. more about branding than they are about revenue? Depends on the call. Okay. Yep. How big? How many employees do you have at this point? A hundred and, you know, in the summer we'll have like 120, you know, and so in the winter, 80. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you're getting closer to that, like, feeling like you are you have a 12-month business. Yeah, we'll know by April of the coming year what kind of business we're going to be for the next five years. So if we make successful inroads in our local market, um, accomplishing, you know, being on shelf. Um, and if we don't hit that this time around, we would eventually hit it, right? Mm -hmm. But this time is really important because we're poised for the growth. Um, and then if, you know, we already have a tasting set up for Jewel Osco in Chicago. Oh, wow. So, and then um, we're working on getting a tasting set up for Publix in Florida. Uh -huh. So we're, we've sent some information one time to Sprouts. We've sent a little bit of information to Gelson's in L.A. So we're out there, like, you know, putting out yeah. little feelers. But it's, it's a big, complicated market. Um, and we know to make inroads in that market, we've got to be competitive. And so we're working on those on core your sort skills. of unique yeah. proposition. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, speaking of tastings, I feel like maybe I, I should taste just, just so that I know. I like to do my yeah. research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should break it out. We, we should. should. Tell, we should explain to everybody that you you travel with dry ice everywhere you go. Just about, yes. Okay, so what's, <laughs> what's in the box? Can so we, we brought all nine flavors for you today. So I've got in the box. She's reaching into the box right now, you guys. Um, <laughs> but um, removing the dry ice and stuff. But we've got Ooh, vanilla. Microphone. <laughs> yep. Vanilla, chocolate. Watch out. I want the ice cream. 
So, do when you go to these other markets and and you're introducing yourself and and your ice cream to them, what what do you feel like they're looking for? Is it all just about having the the next thing? I feel like in ice cream, especially in in stores, it's gotten really gimmicky in the last year. Everyone's got something. They they put a lot of toppings on. They're rolling it. They're doing like something funky. How, what are they looking for in the grocery space? That's what we think. We're, we're doing something different, which is not doing something I know. different. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of odd, right? But we're our our proposition is that we're gonna do we're gonna make ice cream the classics better. Yep. Than than they've been made recently. What's your best selling flavor? S- uh, butter caramel salted swirl. Okay. Well, then and then the, the second best try. is midnight graham crunch in terms of sales. Okay. Do we have spoons or am I just we like do. diving in? Okay. Okay. I just I also wanted to to ask about your um, partnership with Dessa, the musician. Dessa has her own <laughs> flavor. Her second flavor. I mean, what does one have to do to get their own flavor? How did are you just big Dessa fans? How did that come about? So our daughters love Dessa. Yeah. And Who so, doesn't? She's and great. So, so in a typical moment of just hey, throwing stuff out there to see if it'll if it can hit, mm-hmm. I went to her she was moderating a conversation one time at the North Coast Nosh, I think it maybe was called. Mm-hmm. But it was an event at the University of Minnesota. And I went and I said, and she was, Russell Simmons, I think, was the guest. And she was just talking. And then he talked a lot about being vegan during, and we make a non-dairy vegan option in our shop. But he talked a lot about his life and being vegan. And I was like, afterwards, I just went up to the, you know, the queue or the line. And I said, hey, would you like to make ice cream with us? Mm-hmm. She's Pink. <laughs> I just made it. Ask that. Yeah. So she's like, "What?" I mean, she was. So then she says, "Ping me on Facebook," and so we'll get some help from the kids and send her a <laughs> message on Facebook. Um, and then um, two months later, she's like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then we connected, and she had this idea of making ice cream from all the flavors inspired from being on the road. So she would mail. Or drop have people drop off this terrible food from the, all over the United States. Mm-hmm. But if you're on the road, and so we're like, I mean, not terrible, like really good treats, sugar treats with whether it was from Wisconsin or New Orleans or wherever it was, they'd be these treats that had cashew and and caramel Mm -hmm. and eventually we're like well can we make a better version of that treat and then we'll put that into her ice cream which became Dessa's existential crunch and so what is in it it's uh oh i'm gonna mess up now but i think it's a mascarpone a little bit of that in there cashew brittle Mm -hmm. um what else is in Dessa's I, I bet a little you bit have, of alcohol. Do you have other? Oh, really? Yeah. Do you have other celebrities now wanting to uh, have their own ice cream with you? That hasn't happened yet. Okay, I bet it will. Um, <laughs> I'm just all about this butter caramel salted yeah. swirl. I'm just going to sit here and eat this. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. It is so good. What makes this so good? Is it just loaded with butter? Is that what I'm eating? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, there's cream, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the foundation for butter. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of cream. I didn't. Oh, I see you brought um, cups. I should have been polite. Light and scoop the ice cream in the cup. I just you dove keep, right into the pint. You keep going. The little container. Oh my gosh. Um, I'll open this one for you. So what? 
what advice would you two at this point, 19 years in, still figuring it out, still evolving, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs, other mm. business founders? What, what do you know now that you wish you had known 19 years ago? What, well, first, I wouldn't start with that. That would not be how I would look at it. <laughs> so I would start with you just have to be passionate about the thing that you want to do in business. I mm -hmm. think it's really important that you that, that people going into business have a passion for that, for that thinking that they want to do, mm -hmm. the, the contribution they want to make. And then um, the 19-year piece, I think that that that's kind of like the advice that I'd, is a little more dangerous to give, right? Because if somebody really wants to go in and do this business thing, it isn't my place to tell them how to do it. Hmm. Um, I think they really need to look at the journey and enjoy the journey each day and each week and, and dive in. And if, it's, if they truly think they can, and, they're, and that there's a probability that they're going to make the world a better place for either their family, themselves, um, their partner, their community. I think that's worth trying and doing. Mm -hmm. Lara, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, um, I think that having the, the excitement and the energy um, to just make something um, and I'm not just always talking about the service or the product but you know um, like making a way of life and making a way of doing things and um, getting people involved in going along with that is important because I think sometimes um, you know if I just went into business and I just just because I liked ice cream and that's it um, then I'm not, you know, when you're in your business, you're doing a lot of businessy like things and you're not really <laughs> it's not just, all about the ice cream. Yeah, and just not yeah. like tasting ice cream 100% every day or making a flavor, you know. And so, um, like, whatever it is, you have to like kind of like the journey of the business part of it, mm -hmm. as well as, you know, having confidence and believe, believing, you know, in your product. Um, I think. Yeah. And and last question, and Lara, I'm going to ask you this. Yeah. Working with your partner in life, your spouse, we've had others on the show. We've had some that have said, I, you know, I, I, we moved away from working together for the sake of the marriage. Others think it's the best thing to ever happen. Obviously, it's working out for you guys. What's what's the key to working with your spouse? I think um, um being th there with each other regarding the changes. There's just so many changes that are always happening in the business, you know, um, going this way or that way. And we as people are also doing that. So this might be interesting to me now and I'm doing this and he has to give me the space to be able to do that. And I have to give him the space to, do, to be able to, you know, do that. But I think like, naturally we kind of have you know we're good at this and we're good at that and um you know that you thing, each have your own strengths that thing can kind yeah. of happen too yeah. but the real question is have you ever disagreed on a flavor oh my gosh on a flavor wow you know um i don't think so i don't think so jeff spends a lot of um i'm kind of like a the like so, a taste well, wait tester. a second. Yeah, Lara's the expert. So <laughs> yeah. this is so. What's it really hard to understand? Like, Lara is the one that can taste 
all of the all of the components that would impact flavor in an ice cream. So if we're making praline pecan 17 years ago and we're using really big praline pecans and we're maybe using little praline pecans, Lara makes the decision, well, that's not good enough. When I eat this, it's it's not accessible. So she's like, well, we got to grind up some praline pecans too. Mm -hmm. So we need praline pecan dust. We need praline pecan pieces and we need big praline pecan Mm. halves. This is Lara. Lara's deciding ultimately all these flavors. Mm -hmm. Um, She's deciding what they taste like. Well, I'm going to just go on a limb (laughs) and say that you made some really good decisions around this midnight graham crunch. This is amazing. Yes. What is it that makes the the, like nuggets of chocolate so compelling in ice cream? I want to find one in every scoop. Yes. Why is that? Isn't it magical? It really is. Yeah. So we, I don't think we know any more than you do. I think it is magical. And I think it's, and I think it's something that this category of food brings to the world that's, you know, I always think of ice cream being the last sugar standing Mm. in in the whole of society. I like that. It's just like, it's one of those things that gives a lot of value to the, to the experience of food. And so, and, and value I think is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, CEO of Mayo Clinic was talking in one of the local interviews recently and and talking about them being agnostic in terms of po- po- political leadership in the country, that they just really need to bring more value to all their partners with less money all the time. And so I think that in all the work that we're doing, we're trying to bring value, right? So we're trying to bring value to the product, to the experience, to the person that handles our product, to put it in the semi-trailer, to put it on the grocery store shelf, you know, all of our partners. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you in this next really exciting chapter. Thank you for for sharing in real time what's going on. It'll be really fun to watch. And when we see Izzy's on the grocery store shelf, now we'll appreciate a little more what it took to get there. Especially if you bring it home and then tell us how it went. We will do that. <laughs> I am going to bring this home right now. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks no. for being here. Both yes, really thank you for having us. This has been so much fun and so tasty. Thank you again, Jeff and Lara. And hey, stick around. Next, we're going back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Well, as you heard, Izzy's has done a great job of building an established local brand over many years. But now the new challenge of going national. To find out a little more about how you approach that and when you decide to take a local business national, we are going to talk to Associate Professor John McVeigh. He's an expert in entrepreneurial strategy here at the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Thanks for being here, John. Thank you for asking me. Um, So... How, how do you find that moment? It was kind of interesting to me. Izzy's has been around for a lot of years. It was kind of interesting that they've picked now. And it, it, it's a little bit like, why? How? How do you decide when it's time to, to scale up? Well, one of the biggest challenges that ever faces entrepreneurs is growth. 
Um, it's very easy as entrepreneurs to think in the early years that um, often we're so desperate for you know cash flow and for money to make the business sustainable that we 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 sort of assume any growth is good growth, and that can be a terrible mistake. Uh, one of the things we have to have to be careful of is unconstrained growth, for instance. And uh, you know, in biology, we have a name for unconstrained growth. It's called cancer. Um, it, and it can be just as serious for entrepreneurial businesses. There's a, a statistic often quoted by Jim Collins that um, something like 70% of all businesses that go bankrupt go bankrupt within one year of breaking their previous sales record. Hmm. So the question is, why Crazy. is that? Right? Yeah. Why is that? Well, it's it's a year following growth because growth brings with it great opportunities, but it brings great risks because it demands a great deal of change. So one of the things we like to emphasize when we're talking to entrepreneurs is that growth is a choice and growth must be a strategic choice. It's just not something that's inevitable and it's not something that is uh, per se good in any, in, in any situation. And so, for instance, you want the first question you want to ask yourself is, you know, why do you want to grow? What mm -hmm. actually is your objective for growth? Is it independence? Are you facing price pressure so you think you could be able to lower your costs? Are you looking for greater reach in order to reduce your distribution costs? Do you just want to be number one? What are your goals right. for growth is right. the first question. And are any of those go that you just listed off, any of those okay? I, I would say the beauty of being an entrepreneur is Entrepreneurs are have the freedom as long as they have not given away too much of their uh, their equity mm -hmm. and, and their control. They're free to follow their own uh, personal values, and that's something that we very much encourage at St Thomas. You know, you're an entrepreneur as long as you are pursuing something for the common good. You really have a lot more freedom than a publicly listed company to to set your own priorities. So yeah, but the wrong answer is often any growth is good growth. So sometimes if you think about three different dimensions to grow your business, we could, if we have a product, a local product, it's got a reputation, it's doing very well, it's got its product, we could grow by geographic expansion. So we could go to different states and we could ultimately aim for, you know, every state in the union. That mm -hmm. would be one way to grow. We could also grow by staying where we are and growing our product range. So going from ice cream to ice cream sandwiches, maybe to yogurt, to desserts, to cakes. Mm -hmm. Or we could grow by different customer segments. So we could open a children's store. We could open a, 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 an old, a, a store that serves older people. We could serve people uh, with different ethnic backgrounds with an ice cream that had different f flavorings, more compatible with um, you know, their, their, their sort of cuisine of origin. So there are three, at least those three dimensions. We could grow through geography, through different products, and through different types of customers. Mm -hmm. But the only wrong answer is trying to do all three at once. Ah. Because each one of those dimensions, if we think about it, brings new demands on a business. So if we're growing geographically, that's going to have huge new demands on recruiting. We're going to have to hire people right across the country, people we may not know. We're going to have to set up sales offices uh, across the country. So we're going to have to get some you know, office purchasing skills. We're going to have to decide where to locate. We're going to have to decide whether to rent or whether to buy. We're going to have to spend a lot of time on communications. And a building a communications culture, whether we're doing this using technology or face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens if we grow geographically. If we grow through product uh, multiplication, 
we're going to have to bring in research and development, innovation. We're going to have to have some expertise in developing products, in moving a product from prototype to um, to a sales market. We're going to have to do some testing and some. So those are different demands. We need different resources, different people, different demands of capital. And then if we ignore those two and actually go through our customer segments, we're actually going to have to invest in our marketing and in our marketing systems and in understanding and collecting data and seeing how attractive and how we target each customer. Maybe we're going to have to define different different sorts of packaging for different types of people. Right. So the choice we make on the on the way, the how we're going to grow is really critical because it's going to mean investment in different skills, different resources and different capabilities. Now, often getting the different sorts of resources is less of a problem because we can develop those, we can buy those, we could lease them, we can partner them. It's often the the soft skills that are harder. Mm-hmm. Who we hire and setting up systems and ways of doing things, those are the things that the type of growth we're pursuing um, is going to make much more difficult. Right. And inevitably, whatever we do, whatever dimension of growth is our is our strategic choice, it's going to demand more cash flow and it's going to put financial strains on our business because you nearly always have to invest in something yeah. before you get the return. And so there will be a negative cash flow. So that means if I'm sitting with a very successful local business and I'm trying to grow... I may have to become more unsuccessful in the short run right. before I become more successful in the long run. you got to get comfortable with that. Well, yep. lots to think about. Thank you, John McVeigh, for being here. And thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, take a minute to rate and review us. It really helps the show. I'm Allison Kaplan on behalf of Twin Cities Business. Thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed By All Means. <laughs>